Welcome to Crossroads of Culture and Christianity. I am your host, Jacob Jellison, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Hove. We've been talking about the evidence for the existence of God, and we started with the moral argument. We deviated a little bit to discuss some other things that we thought were important issues, but now we want to go back to discussing more of the evidence for God's existence. Today, we want to take some time and we want to talk about the teleological argument. And if you're not familiar with that, stick around. We're going to try to explain it to you the best we can. In the teleological argument, it's what we might call the argument from design. And so we'll just kind of give it uh, in three points. Number one, there's evidence of design in the universe. Some would add the words harmony, order. So there's evidence of harmony, order, design in the universe. Uh, And number two, the design of the universe gives evidence of an intelligent purpose. Number three, since the universe appears to be designed with a purpose, there must be an intelligent and purposeful God who created it to function this way. That argument comes from Wayne Grudem's systematic theology when he gives some evidences for God's existence. Uh, But you can find that design or the teleological argument in a number of different sources. Uh, So you got, again, there's evidence of design in the universe. The design of the universe gives evidence of intelligent purpose. Things that are designed are designed for a purpose. Since the universe appears to be designed with a purpose, there must be an intelligent, purposeful God who created to function this way. So if there's design in the universe, it it points. And some of the things I think we said on some of the other arguments, like with the moral argument for God's existence, or uh, we went through the cosmological argument for God's existence, and some of those we talked about on how they point. They don't necessarily prove God's existence right. per se, you know. But they point toward it, right? Uh, and so it, 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 and that's kind of what this argument does. The teleological argument it, it points. All of these arguments point in the direction of there's a god out there. Yeah. Uh, and an illustration that's kind of famous and been used in the past would be the story of the watchmaker. You know, so it's the idea of so you're walking through this bog, this swampy area, and you look down and there's this watch laying there. And the watch, all the parts fit together just perfectly in such a way that it can keep time. And so it shows some type of design to it. It looks like it's designed. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is you find this watch. Well, there must be a watchmaker. The watch didn't just get there. There must be a watchmaker. And so it's kind of that idea with the universe just a little. You look at the universe. It appears to be designed for a purpose, for life. Uh, And if it's designed for a purpose, for life, there must be an intelligent designer who designed it for a purpose and for life. Right. And so this points toward God. Um, I remember hearing a comical or reading a comical story. I I really don't remember where I read this story, uh, which particular source I come across it in, but somewhere uh, I don't think it was in Wayne Grudem's. I don't remember where I stumbled across this, but they gave the account and I don't, I think it may have been a fictitious account if I remember right, but I'm not positive. Uh, but they gave an account of a theist and an atheist who are walking in the woods together and they find this 
a, a kickball or something in the woods. And so the theist says, well, I think that ball just kind of got there. And the atheist says, no, it doesn't just happen. I mean, some little kid must have kicked it and it got lost out here in the brush. Uh, and so the theist says, well, what if the ball were two times that size? Then it may have just got here. And the atheist says, no, that that's not how that happened. Somebody would have still lost it. And the theist is, what if it were 10 times bigger than what it is? No, still somebody lost it. And they, the theist finally says, oh, what if it were the size of the world? Then maybe it just appeared. Because that's the idea within atheism is everything just kind of happened by chance. We just happened to be here, but there's no creator. Mm -hmm. But under theism, it's no, the reason things are designed in here is because there's a designer, there's a creator behind it all. Right. And uh, so, so when we look at the universe that you and I and the world that we live in, it seems to be designed for life mm -hmm. with a purpose in mind. Uh, and and that points toward God. Uh, there are a number of arguments we'll use as evidences of design. Uh, one that you mentioned before we came on here, just in in talking back and forth, you mentioned the fine tuning of the universe. Yeah, and there have been some atheists who have actually said that of all the arguments for God's existence, one of the most compelling to them was the fine-tuning of the universe. It's hard to get around because there's a lot of details about the universe we live in that if 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 certain details about it were changed just ever so slightly, it'd be impossible for life to exist on this universe. Yeah. One of the, the things that I wanted to mention, uh, the person that actually made that argument famous, the watch argument that you were talking about, mm -hmm. is a man by the name of William Paley. And William Paley was a... a uh, Anglican apologist. Um, he was a, uh, a theologian, uh, a philosopher. And uh, so he made that argument famous. You have some, some that are going to come along and they're going to bring objections to that argument. And I think it's just as important to, it's, it's, it's as important to bring those arguments out, but it's just as important to, I believe, maybe give you some examples of the objections that people have to those arguments. So for mm -hmm. example, you're, you're familiar with this person. I know you are, and many of our listeners may not be, but some may, there was a Scottish philosopher back in the 1700s by the name of David Hume. Now he was a philosopher and a historian, and he actually had some responses to Paley's argument concerning uh, this watch analogy. Uh, one of the things that he says, he says, it's kind of weak, that's a weak analogy. And the reason why he says that now there are responses to this and I'll share those. Sure. Um, but one of the reasons he says that is because unlike watches, there is only one universe. Uh, so there's no other universes to compare it to or judge it by. So for example, you have a watch, you can judge it by other watches to see that that's the way it's supposed to function. That's how it's supposed to function. He says that, I think this is a weak response, but he says that, well, unlike watches, unlike human artifacts, there's no other universe out there by which to judge ours by, which is kind of funny because, and I know he didn't popularize this, but there are there is a hypothesis out there for the origin of the, mul uh, the multiverse theory, yeah. yeah, where they believe that there's infinite, pretty much infinite universes that spawned each other is basically what the multiverse theory is. But he's going to say there's no other universes, which I agree, there is no other universes. I don't subscribe to the multiverse theory. Um, but the problem with that is, is that you could say that maybe that's a, an imperfect analogy and maybe that's true, 
But that's not the purpose of it. He's missing it entirely. The purpose is that what you're seeing when you look at a watch is you're seeing purpose, you're seeing order, you're seeing intention, and that's the exact same thing that you see in the world. When you look at the world, you're seeing order. There is order to this world. It doesn't matter. It does not. It doesn't matter what angle that you look at the world from. You're looking at a world that is put in order. It's not right. chaotic. I mean, everything functions as it should. The sun rises and sets every single day when it's supposed to. Um, you know, the moon functions like it's supposed to. Uh, the stars function like they're supposed to. The trees in the, uh, you know uh, the leaves fall to the ground. And die every fall and through the winter time but in the spring every single time the leaves come you know uh, uh come back um the, the the trees come back to life so to speak and so there's order there's there's not it's not a chaotic world that we're looking at and so that's the whole purpose of the watch the watch regardless of whether there's multiple universes to compare ours to the fact of the matter is is you're completely bypassing the purpose of that argument the purpose is you're seeing order it's not chaos you're seeing a purpose you're seeing intention and all of these things i believe are evidence of a mind that has put all that together order right. does not come from chaos by chance i mean we prove that time and time again by various different uh experiments various different you cannot bring order from chaos without a purpose right and you know honestly whenever we see the uh the there are at times exceptions maybe to the ordinary so we see the order of the universe and you're using the term chaos um but let me just let me say on a lot of different fronts, there's an order to the universe. Mm-hmm. So there's a moral order to the universe. Right. Um, but there are times of chaos when things are out of hand. But the reason we know they're not right, not as they should be, is because we're immersed in the order, the natural order of the universe. Mm-hmm. The only reason you know when it is chaotic and it's this isn't how it's supposed to be something's wrong here is because you know what right is right and so what whatever you're talking with the order of the universe it's like chaos is there chaos in the universe are there things that are maybe not as they ought to be are there times okay and even take for instance i mean the human body is an amazing thing how yeah. god's designed it for um and for the atheist the skeptic you know maybe they wouldn't admit the design by god mm-hmm. but nonetheless how this human body functions is amazing are there times when the human body doesn't function as it should yeah yeah but the reason we know that is because we know how it ought to function right and so we we still we see that order that you're talking about yeah and so for the listeners it's like are there times when things don't function as they should yeah those are the exceptions. And the reason we know it's not functioning as it should is because we know how it functions rightly. And further, there's a response. So whenever things begin to function the way that they're not supposed to, we take appropriate actions to set them back in order again. That's right. So uh, you have, for example, like you said, the body, uh, whenever our bodies stop functioning the way that they're supposed to, when they become chaotic, we seek help from medical professionals to try to set them back in order. Right. And that's, that's, that's one of the things I think is being commonly overlooked is the fact that 
we are not designed in such a way to be uh, to to adapt to chaotic situations in that what i mean by that is we are designed in such a way that if we come upon a chaotic situation our first instinct is to try to do whatever we can to put those things back in order right. i mean even uh, this is kind of a humorous example of this but it's kind of you're married, I'm married, you know, your wife comes to you with a problem. Something is chaotic in her world. Our first response and women hate this, you know, I've learned this through marriage. You know, we're about to celebrate our sixth anniversary, but um, women hate this. They don't want you to solve their problems. They just want you to listen, but they listen, come to you. Right. Yeah. They come to you with a chaotic situation. And as men, our first response is what we want to put things back Let's in order. It. We want to fix what it. What can we do? Right. And so we're not, we're not designed in such a way that we just adapt and, and learn to live with chaos. That's not the way that God designed it at all. We're, we're designed in such a way that we recognize chaos. We recognize that's bad. We need to fix it. We need to set it back in order. That's true. Um, so there are a number of, did you have some more points on the, uh, no, no, that's okay. That was on, probably the, the watchmaker. One. Okay. So yeah. you, we consider David Hume's objection to it. And so mm-hmm. you discussed that and then some more evidences of design for the universe. There, there are a number of them, you know, the fine tuning of the universe, You'd mentioned that, uh, how things are just so fine-tuned for life. One thing, and I read this years ago and never forgot it, so something foundational to life, is, is it's, it's the most basic thing in, in, our, in this world, in the earth, and foundational to life is water, yeah. H2O. And so this mo- one molecule of, call it H2O, of water, um, H2O, that means you've got two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen that have come together to make a molecule of water. And so we call it H2O. What's interesting is that water, and you can stick, you know, if you stick a water bottle in the freezer, what happens to it? It expands. It expands. Yeah. Swells. And uh, what's interesting, and scientists don't know for sure why this happens. So what's interesting is you can mix two atoms of hydrogen with an atom of other uh, substance, other other compounds. But when you mix it with oxygen, that's the only element that you can mix the two atoms of hydrogen with, and it actually expands when it when it reaches its solid stage. Mm-hmm. When you mix two atoms of hydrogen with pretty much other any other element that you could mix it with, when it f- goes to its solid stage, it constricts. It, it it gets smaller because of that. Because of its expanding as H two O, that means in ice form, in solid form, ice is less dense than water is, mm-hmm. uh, which is why ice floats. When you put ice in your glass of water, the ice cube floats to the top. Right. If if H2O did the same thing that any two atoms of hydrogen mixed with a different element would do under normal circumstances, how they would get smaller, the frozen or the solid state would actually be more dense than the liquid phase, which would mean those ice cubes would sink to the bottom. Yeah, Scientists don't have any idea why H2O behaves this way. They just know how it does behave. Mm-hmm. But what's great about it is ice floats to the top. The reason this is a good thing is because if – so we live in Pennsylvania, you and I, mm-hmm. and happens to get cold in the wintertime. Ponds, lakes, creeks, whatever, freeze over. If if H2O behaved like other substances where you have two atoms of hydrogen mixed with one atom of some other element, 
then that ice would get smaller and it'd get dense. And instead of staying on the top of the lake or the river or the pond, it would sink to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you would literally freeze your ponds and your lakes and creeks and rivers from the bottom up, mm-hmm. which would kill all of your water life, you know, that you have in there. And so it, and a lot, some of the water life that we have helps sustain the proper oxygen levels in the air. And yeah, so I, the, the very fact that water behaves the way it does is amazing. Uh, and then, uh, again, those hydrogen, two, two atoms of hydrogen mixed with one atom of some other element, often also at a normal temperatures, mm-hmm. those other substances uh, will, will kick over from their liquid phase into their gas phase, Uh which water, you know, you bring it to a boil and it begins to steam and it turns to its gas phase. And, and so water has to get to a very high temperature to, to get to the gas phase. Yeah. Whereas those other substances at normal temperatures here on earth are already in their gas phase. Yeah. Um, so the good news for us with H2O, the way it behaves, it allows us to be able to drink. We need to drink water, take in fluids to be able to survive and live. Uh, and so the only, it's it's very important the way it behaves. Scientists have no clue why it behaves that way, but they know it does behave that way. Yeah. And so it's it's as though, as though the universe and this world is just fine-tuned with a purpose for life. Right. And that's absolutely amazing. And there's a number of things. You could even look at, Things like gravity, you know, if the gravitational pull was too much, it would be very difficult for life to, or if it is too little. And so it's, there's so many different things that are just fine tuned for life. You have the, the location of the sun to the earth as well. From what I understand, if the earth was any closer or any further away from the sun, it would be impossible to sustain life on the earth. I mean, I mean, just a, a fraction closer a very minute number yeah I, I don't know what it is off the top of my head but whether whether we're closer or, or further away really does matter as far as the sustaining of life and so i mean little things like that that you see all throughout our universe seem to indicate to us that everything around us is the product of some design of an intelligent mind right um there's an interesting and, and in line with all of this um, there is an interesting verse, uh, Psalms 19 and verse 1 that says, it's a familiar verse to many of our listeners, no doubt, but it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so you've got this idea that from creation, I mean, the heavens themselves cry out, there's a creator from Psalms 97 and verse 6, again, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. And so you've got this idea that somehow from creation, from the heavens, it's the way everything works. It it, it reveals God's glory. It manifests. Mm-hmm. It cries out. You look up in that night sky at the planets and you see how the planets function together and it it just reveals the glory of God. Yeah. And uh, it really, this. so the teleological argument, there's design in this universe. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it shows that there must be a designer behind it. There's a New Testament verse as well 
in Romans chapter one, verse twenty. Um, and I think we've used this before. Yeah, I believe in some so. of our discussions of God's existence. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And so so when you look at this world, you can begin to see his power, his God. You can begin to see the power of God revealed in creation itself. Yeah. Um, things about God that we see. And so as you look to the universe designed by him, it just kind of is a sign pointing towards the designer of the universe. Yeah, and I think that's the intention too. I mean, exactly what Paul is saying there in Romans chapter number one, the purpose is, is that we recognize all of these things like order and we recognize things like uh, how, how things function and uh, how they're designed to uh, work in such a way as to uh, complement life and uh, things of that nature. And all of that is meant to point us back to the one that set all these things in order, point us right. back to the one that created all things and to de- and design them the way that he did to function the way that they were supposed to. Right, right. So we've got a great big God. And uh, one thing I'd like to say is not only does God design the universe, and we can look at the universe, look at the world, and there's a great big designer out there. But this one that designed the universe, he didn't just design it so he would have a universe. He designed it with man in mind. And it was designed to sustain life, be a place where we could live a flourishing life. God cares about you. And the same designer that designed the universe, if you'll let him, he'll design your life too. He wants to... He wants to have a part in your life. He wants to design and orchestrate your life. He wants to order your steps. And if you'll let him, he'll take over and he'll begin to order your steps. Just got to trust it to him. He'll design the universe by the power of his word. And he's going to wait on you to turn your life over to him. And he'll design yours too. If you'd like to reach us, you can email us at askthecrossroads at gmail.com. Thank you for listening today. We'll see you next time.